Thank you for joining ICF's latest podcast on the COVID-19 pandemic efforts. Today, we're going to be talking about risk management in the pandemic. My name is Mark O'Born. I'm the Senior Vice President for uh, Strategic Initiatives for ICF. And happy to have with me today two experts who have been dealing with risk management for their entire careers, both inside government and outside of government. Risk and risk management is something that we all face and all deal with every day, whether we own a business, whether we uh, are part of government, or whether or not we uh, even think about it in our daily lives. Risk management, to most, conjures up images of risks from hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, terrorism. Uh, but certainly, uh, risk is a ongoing challenge when it comes to other natural hazards or man-made hazards, such as uh, pandemics uh, and other types of, of uh, threats. Today, we have two experts who have been dealing with risk across the spectrum of risks uh, and how that not only just affects insurance, but affects the way our business leaders, our government leaders, and even ourselves as individuals think about it. Joining us today, we're pleased to have one of our great friends and teaming partners from Marsh, Reed Sawyer, Managing Director of Emerging Risks at uh, Marsh, and a retired Lieutenant Colonel with the United States Army. Reed's a nationally recognized expert uh, on managing risk, former Senior Vice President of JLT. Uh, he's a senior member and was a senior member of the New York City Fire Department's Terrorism Task Force. Uh, and also uh, helped inform New York City on cyber and risk issues from 2003 to 2017. Former senior intelligence strategist uh, while serving in the United States Army with both U.S. Central Command, South Asia, uh, did a fellowship with the uh, FBI and looking at intellectual property theft through cyber crimes and has been uh, the founder of a premier counterterrorism research institute, the Combating Terrorism Center at West Point. He's the editor of a uh, number of books on transnational threats and the author of numerous articles. And we welcome Reed to uh, today's podcast. Also, we have Susan West, who joins us again on the podcast, who's a vice president of risk management for ICF, who brings more than 30 years of risk management and insurance expertise to ICF's disaster management team. She's the former vice president of risk, is the, is the vice president of risk management and insurance, and is currently serving as the insurance lead for the disaster recovery initiatives in Puerto Rico and navigating the insurance complexities associated with liquidated insurance companies and volatile insurance markets. She provides strategy recommendations for the application of insurance proceeds to maximize FEMA funding and has previously worked for the state of Louisiana as the state risk administrator and was instrumental in the state's recovery from multiple disasters. Her knowledge of disaster regulations, insurance, and risk, and her expert guidance on risk financing, continuity of operations, risk analysis, and coverage matters related to both FEMA and other insurance, including the federal requirements to obtain and maintain insurance provisions. She's a leader having served uh, as the vice president of an insurance agency, chief executive officer of a large insurance program, and has a master's of business administration, and is a certified insurance counselor and certified risk manager and author of Insurance and FEMA, How to Get and Keep Federal Funding. 
Susan, again, thank you and welcome for, to you as well to join us again today. First question really, Susan, is for you. And as we take a look at pandemic, especially in terms of how we might normally think of risk for other perils, how do you mitigate the risks associated with a pandemic? Good morning, Marco, and good morning, Reed. Risk management is usually um, used primarily to describe the steps that we would take to avoid loss or lessen the impact of a potential risk. So as we sit here today in the midst of a pandemic, we can all play the Monday morning quarterback and assess what we could have done differently and even better. So in assessing risk, you need to first assess what can happen. The what is a pandemic. But don't forget, obviously, that there's some fallout from a pandemic in your assessment, such as your loss of revenue, your inability to retain employees, supply chain impacts, employment lawsuits, and more. So once you've identified your specific risk, you should determine the probability for its occurrence. Keep in mind that pandemics are they're not new. If history is a good predictor of the future, more pandemics are likely, including a resurgence of COVID-19. So we can no longer say that the probability is unlikely. As such, we need to look at the consequences of such a risk and begin that process of mitigating against the possible outcomes. Reed, I want to certainly one welcome you and bring you in as well. You know, we've had a history, certainly, of pandemics in, in the world. And unfortunately, most folks think back to the, uh, the flu uh, epidemics and pandemics of the early 1900s. But there's more out there. There are, um, there are other pandemics and other issues that have provided us with information and metrics that we can really take a look at when it comes to evaluating the risk. How and what metrics are out there and what, are the, what metrics really matter uh, when evaluating the risk of a pandemic crisis? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and thank you very much for, for having me join, join your podcast. You know, the, the, the challenge in, in, in many of this is many instances is, is first is detecting sort of the weak signals uh, of, of what a potential uh, evolving pandemic or, or even prior to that, before it's declared a pandemic, an epidemic, right? That, that how that can matter to, to a company's, to a firm's value chain. And so, so from that perspective, right, it's critical that we believe that, that organizations, that companies have to establish measures of risk aggregation. They've really got to redefine what enterprise risk means to the, to the company itself and understand how, how these instances of a, of a pandemic or similarly catastrophic and systemic risks um, can, can impact that organization or different parts of, of their supply chain or, or indeed their business partners. So parts of this means that we have to develop different resiliency metrics, right? We, we all collect enormous amounts of data relating to our productivity, our capacity, our delivery across our different systems and our organizations. Um, but the question becomes is, are we, are we actually leveraging that data in a way that we can determine, you know, how much stress my organization can stand at a given time and for how long can it stand at a time, right? Similarly, uh, it's really critical, I think, in these days, and, and certainly what the COVID-19 crisis has showed us, is that we reevaluate our counterparty risks, you know, those that, that we were either rely on to provide as critical IT services, or business out-processing services, critical members of our supply chain, whatever that case might be, 
um, that we that we look at that we look at our counterparties through a different lens and say, you know, how much stress can that organization sustain? Um, and in doing so, I think that requires us to start to build some intelligence layers from a risk management perspective that we're just not used to doing um, in the past. As we take a look at obviously metrics and why they're important, not only are they important to gather and analyze and understand, but what we do with those metrics becomes incredibly important as well because the action does need to be taken based on those. A lot of that goes into pre-planning. And when it comes to planning, Susan, what can governments and businesses do to better plan for another pandemic, knowing that Perhaps they didn't do as much planning prior to this, but a lot of wonderful, uh, helpful information, albeit tough, uh, can they use to uh, to better plan for what is inevitably going to be the next time? That's a great question, Marco. And um, to you know, to analyze your total enterprise risk management um, situation now. Now that we're living through a pandemic, it may be easier to determine what you as a business or a government need to do. The first suggestion is to develop a pandemic preparedness plan. Um, there are some companies um, that are now being required to pro- provide their pandemic plan when bidding on jobs. So it's going to be critical as we move forward. The, the plan that you develop should clearly define the essential roles, the protocols for remote work, measures required of infected employees before they return to work, training, obviously, that's going to be needed for those employees, and any emergency communication plan that you develop. As Also, as, as Reed alluded to, financial impact is going to be great um, and already has proven to be great. And it's not just you, but it's also that supply chain and those par- partners that you deal with in this process. So, You need to review your organization's sustainability. Does your business have enough capital to sustain itself during an extended shutdown and for how long? Would it be feasible to consider remote work as a permanent solution, perhaps to lower cost? And then again, are there other business solutions that could help you decrease expenditures? Some industries are able to capitalize on this moment as the pandemic has opened the door for new business opportunities. So each business will need to determine what makes the most sense for remaining viable. Another important factor that you need to consider is to document your unplanned expenditures. In the event of a federally declared disaster, the federal government will provide funding for eligible expenses to to states, local governments, private nonprofits who are impacted by the event. To take advantage of this funding, you will need to document your unplanned expenditures and hold on to all invoices and receipts for payment. And once the disaster is declared, the federal government will release details on what types of cost may be considered for reimbursement. Also, Reed mentioned earlier the technology. So you have to assess your technological systems. Does your business have the appropriate technology to continue its operations during an extended shutdown? And do your employees have laptops? That's a simple, you know, thing that we now know, but a lot of folks did not plan for that. And do you have um, access to an internet with adequate bandwidth and appropriate protection from computer viruses? So you might want to consider investing in software to allow for collaborative meetings and remote file access. One thing we have found is that training of these 
technological softwares is important. There are a lot of folks that don't know how to operate necessarily in a virtual environment and are having to become familiar with uh, Microsoft Teams, for example, or other software. So training is obviously going to be important. Then I think you need to examine your contracts that you have in place. Does your business have contracts that may include a force majeure clause? This is a type of clause that's in a contractual, usually in a lot of contracts, um, that provides for temporarily or permanently suspends contractual obligations when the completion of the work is not feasible due to circumstances beyond your control. This clause typically contains language that specifies which type of events are considered unforeseeable. So when you're looking at your, your contract and then you go and look at your, um, the, the clauses that are contained in there, you want to make certain that a pandemic is listed as a specific um, clause. It should, the contract should not be enforceable if it contains a force majeure clause for that specific peril and work is not able to be completed. Some states, um, just so you are aware, New York, Florida, California, Texas, Illinois, that's not an exhaustive list, mandate the inclusion of force majeure language in contracts. So it's likely that other states will now join in this requirement. And then last but not least, consult with a risk advisor. You know, buying insurance is a pretty important step in the risk management process. And I think that, that every business and government should have a risk advisor to guide them through this process. Because as we are now seeing, businesses are finding out that the coverage they thought they had, they actually did not have. In recent years, um, certainly we've had a tremendous amount of emphasis placed on resiliency. And resiliency, uh, one step in resiliency is to understand uh, the risks that, uh, Susan, you just outlined. Uh, but we've mainly been looking at resiliency from both a natural hazard perspective as well as a terrorism perspective. But resiliency certainly is being stretched. The capabilities are um, being exceeded. And Reed, when COVID-19 came about, this crisis has certainly both exceeded resilience capabilities of most organizations. Uh, and as the crisis continues to unfold, what can organizations do to really evaluate the risk under, the, under these conditions of, of really deep uncertainty? You know, it, it, it's a challenge for, for all of us. It's right. It's hard. It's hard to have imagined that, you know, eight weeks ago when we had, you know, less than 10 cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. And, you know, given the number of where we sit just, just barely two months later or, or the number of deaths we face that anybody could have truly forecasted um, how, how bad and how extreme this crisis could have been. Uh, but, but that aside, I think that it, it's, it's highlighted a couple of things in terms of resilience that we need to be thinking about. The first is, is as much as uh, organizations tend to view risk through the lens of severity uh, and frequency or likelihood, right? How, how bad can an event be and how likely is that, can, that event um, to happen in my organization? There's a third dimension to risk that, that we need to be thinking about in terms of resiliency, which is velocity of risk. And how fast can how fast can can those effects manifest themselves inside of my organization? How fast can they hit my supply chain? Um, and indeed, how fast can they hit uh, my balance sheet? I think once you start to evaluate through these different types of, of of lenses, whether it's velocity of risk or understanding the degrees 
of, of risk aggregation and how, you know, the degrees to which uh, a company, you know, has has excessive reliance or interconnectivity um, with other parts of, you know, other businesses, other parts, again, across this value chain, um, until you're able to, to establish those measures and understand where those pockets of risk aggregation sit, it's really difficult to get your arms around this question of resiliency and to be able to understand how much you know, how much stress, again, you know, that an organization can withstand. Because, because again, it's it's at this point, as we think about resiliency, it's, it's very similar to a stress curve, right, and that, that we use in engineering, which is simply the, the how much stress can an organ, you know, can a, can, can a entity withstand over a period of time before it breaks. But the problem is, it's not just my organization, it's all the organizations I'm connected to. And unfortunately, as I think we have all learned through this crisis, that the trade-off we've seen between efficiency and resiliency um, that has been made over the last decade, decade and a half, has really, really challenged our ability to to plan under those conditions of deep uncertainty that you're talking about. Certainly, when we look at at risk and we look at pandemics specifically, um, like is in any type of hazard. It's natural for folks to think in terms of insurance and insurance helping to mitigate the risk. Uh, and Susan, in this particular case, you know, insurance coverage is part of the equation, may not be the entire equation or even most of it. So how does insurance coverage really fit into risk management in a pandemic? That's a great question, Marco. And just Insurance is just one primary way that you can mitigate against loss. Um, it's just it's important to know what coverage you have and whether or not it will respond to a pandemic. I want to talk just a moment about group health insurance because it's sometimes the forgotten piece in terms of risk mitigation. I think it's important to protect, obviously, the health and well-being of those who are on your company's group health plan. So you should talk with a risk advisor to just establish some basic protocols that may be considered when a disaster strikes, such as lifting out-of-network restrictions for members who have only in-network coverage, lifting daily limits for prescription refills, or lifting copay requirements for maintenance medication, maybe even extending premium payments or filing claim deadlines, or adding newborn babies or marriages, and extend call hours for added support, and last but not least, perhaps adding free counseling for a limited time for members. As we have seen, there's a lot of of potentially mental issues associated with this isolation that many are feeling and and also dealing with the fear of COVID-19. So when we talk about property coverages, most, most businesses have commercial property policies, but most of the traditional policies do not cover pandemics and in fact include standard exclusion language for loss due to virus or bacteria. And this exclusion means that the insurance company will not pay for loss or damage caused by or resulting from a virus, bacterium, or any microorganism that induces or is capable of causing illness or disease. Uh, Good news uh, of sorts, the insurance service office responded in February of 2020 with two new forms for business interruption losses and civil authority orders uh, for closure of businesses and both specifically related to COVID-19. These forms grant some limited coverage for COVID-19 when there is no direct physical damage to covered property, 
unfortunately, insurance companies really don't want to add these new forms to policies during an ongoing pandemic. So the importance of reviewing your insurance policy to determine the coverage that you may or may not have uh, can't be overemphasized. That's a great point. And, and certainly as we wind through what is probably initially phase one of COVID-19, uh, a lot of the models out there are showing that there's going to be um, a second wave at some point, whether it's uh, this fall, this winter. Um, in some cases, some states are, are further ahead than other states when it comes to where they are um, in the curve of, of infection and treatment. Uh, if those models are really correct, um, and there's not a lot of doubt that at some point in the absence of a viable um, uh, really a viable vaccine, which is going to be a little ways down the road, assuming they can get there. Uh, if those models are correct, Reed, how can and should risk leaders evaluate the future risk, especially of a second wave of COVID-19? Yeah, it, it's it's the unfortunate reality that, that that we're facing now is that we need we need to acknowledge right these these black swans that that were probably somewhere on on most companies you know, risk register at some point of the pandemic sort of just been into, brought into stark relief with with everything that's been happening over the last last 12 weeks. And so this ability to think forward, really that the need to think forward uh, to create risk forecasts um, about about the impacts. Right. So if we if we don't have that magic eight ball that we can that we can shake and look into the window to tell us what you know, how bad that that second spike might be in November or whether or not we're going to face a more of a, a lower level, but rolling um, type of, of arc of this pathogen, then I think it's incumbent on us as risk leaders and, and decision makers, boards and C-suites to be thinking about this forecast, right? It, it's, it's really a, a question of creating alternative futures analysis and asking the question, you know, if the spike in November happens at the height of flu season, as some have suggested that it might, you know, what, what does that mean for my workforce? Uh, what if the spike in November is as severe as it was um, during this recent this recent episode of which we're still you know undergoing? What what if it's only half as bad? And as you can start to imagine and parameterize those future outcomes, uh, it allows the organizations to not only test the resiliency plans against those, um, but to start to think through then you know how what decisions would I make at the time and, and how would I respond in those different circumstances to accelerate speed to decision uh, through those through those different instances. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I can't stress this enough. As we think about those different alternative futures, it's imperative to do so across the entirety of, of our of our organization's value chains. What does it mean to my partners, to my to my joint ventures, to my suppliers, and equally to my customers, right? Whether I'm in the B2B or the B2C place, because as as we as we go through this, we've, again, we've all learned through this hyper interconnectivity uh, that, that, that this world that we live in today, um, that understanding and the ability to communicate across those can allow us to, to, to plan for these different types of events um, without, you know, without having that certainty of the future. So I think it's incumbent on us to, to parameterize that, that future uncertainty in a way that allows organizations to act and plan. 
Well, certainly, I you know your organization uh, at Marshall McLennan, ours at ICF, others are taking a hard look at not only evaluating um, the risk and evaluating the measures we're offering and 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 providing our clients, uh, but also uh, how this plays out over the course of the next several months as we get through this first wave and and. Uh, really try to address the second wave includes understanding how that modeling work, how that data is informing us, because obviously in the next wave, maybe we don't make quite the same decisions we made this time with regards to what stays open, what doesn't, um, what is that level of severity, that velocity of risk, because obviously we can't continue to constantly swing back and forth between being completely open like before uh, or completely closed off uh, in many respects like we are now and all of the intended issues that go along with that. Susan, is just to give you a, a, a final word here uh, from your perspective, uh, as we look at the risk modeling and the risk management moving forward, uh, how do you think that's ultimately going to change um, your crystal ball, uh, how we're going to be thinking in terms of risk management moving forward, uh, not just from the pandemic perspective, but how that fits into the other risks, which we know we face and are about to enter in hurricane season and other storm season and other natural hazards. I was just going to mention that's a, a great point, Mar Marco, because there's always a concern that this there's a natural disaster that's going to occur during an ongoing pandemic, which is going to create a whole new set of risks to consider, such as how do you shelter people um, with an ongoing pandemic? How do you, you know, manage evacuations? Normally, there's buses that are brought in to evacuate large groups of individuals, and that may not be part of the the future in managing a natural disaster. So we have to take a look at that. And um, I, I can see the whole spectrum of managing risk associated with the, the interjection of a pandemic totally changing how we um, manage our businesses and governments moving forward. So as Reed mentioned, there's really no better time than now to prepare for another potential wave of COVID or even another pandemic, and then considering the overlap of that with a natural disaster, such as a hurricane. Thanks, Susan. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us today. Reed, I wanted to give you an opportunity for a last word and your thoughts about moving forward. Um, where do we go from here? And what are the what are the steps um, or what are the things that we really need to be thinking about today that are going to influence what we do seven months from now? That's it. You know, just to, to build from Susan's comments, which which really are, are are spot on. It's I think there's three things. One at at a at a national level, um, we need to be really conscious of of things and kind of circling back to the insurance question for a minute, like the the proposal for a pandemic reinsurance act to provide that backstopping to the private sector and to the insurance sector um that's needed much like what we developed after 9-11 with the terrorism reinsurance act and I, so i think that that at the national level we need some public policy reforms to provide for the financial viability for for these types of, of sectors and for you know for the businesses to be able to respond from a commercial sense um two i, I think that it's it's really going to be incumbent on on organizations to be thinking about these emerging risks in a different light 
right? So for so long, we, we've thought about evolving or the enduring risks. And then, you know, if we really pressed ourselves, organizations would think about sort of how are those enduring risks evolving? But, but now it's, got, it's a question of how, you know, what are those shocks to, to the system that, that we might experience and, and, and how do they matter? And, and we've got to provide better tools and, and leverage the knowledge um, so that the boards can make better informed risk decisions as they're going forward. That, that risk nine box, you know, that the heat map that, that most boards look at just feels incredibly inadequate in today's crisis. And so, so how we how we think through these interconnections, the dependencies, the risk aggregation, and then to be able to do so from a stress testing perspective is just going to be absolutely critical as we move forward. Great, thank you very much, and really appreciate uh, you joining us on the podcast today. For everybody who has listened to this podcast and the podcast series, uh, we certainly appreciate the insights of uh, some. A tremendous experts, both within the ICF family and our partners uh, from uh, additional companies like uh, Reed Sawyer's group at uh, Marsh, uh, as well as others. The podcast series continues. We are pleased to have had an opportunity today to talk to you about risk management and the pandemic. Uh, we do have other podcasts planned, and we do have some more extensive webinars that are in the work around things like duplication of benefits with multiple federal funding sources. We're also going to be looking very closely at how do we get to a new normal, uh, really building on today's dialogue about what happens after uh, the next wave and during the next wave and on, and how do we evolve our thinking in terms of how we operate both from a governmental perspective uh, and a corporate perspective, uh, private sector, when it comes to dealing with the ever-changing risk platform and risk, risk profile that we face uh, worldwide and in the United States. Again, thank you very much for joining us today. ICF.com is your place to go uh, for information about this podcast under our insights section. Uh, we will be posting this podcast with the others along with a transcript and with some additional materials that should help link you to uh, Reed's work uh, at Marsh, as well as uh, fact sheets that we have developed here at ICF and federal agency uh, information, uh, state and local information uh, that you need in order to help make decisions and move forward. Thank you again for joining us and we appreciate your listening and look forward to your thoughts and insights.